You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, American Gospel. When we buy into the notion that we are like God in nature and not just image, we buy into the false theology that leads us to the path of death. Let's get to work. We've got a lot to do today. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be just kind of rooted throughout this entire series. We're in week three of the American Gospel and I gotta be honest with you, I feel like we've been going through this sermon series for like six months. I, I'm serious. That, I don't know if you feel that weightiness going through this collection of talks. Anybody? It just feels like really weighty. Good news, we have three more weeks. So um, today we're gonna be talking about, it's almost like a pause though today, because as we were putting together these, these talks, these sermons, um, it just, something became very clear uh, we, we need to have a frank discussion about the sovereignty of God. And so when we get the sovereignty of God wrong, we get a lot of stuff wrong. And so today, is, it's, not, it's not like a deviation from our, our scheduled teaching about the American gospel, but it is a pause kind of just to kind of make sure we get this correct. But next week, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be continuing this series. I'd encourage you to be here the next two weeks, okay? And that's not like a you know, like a boost our metrics type of thing, attendance thing. I really want you to be here. I think it's important for us. Next week, we're going to be talking about money. And uh, through the lens of the American gospel, the sermon title is uh, Generous Manipulation. So that should be fun. Um, And then the last week is going to be a sermon titled A Different Gospel. And that is going to be about straight up false teachers. So uh, good times all around heading into the fall. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. But today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Today, today's title is Little Gods. And we're going to pick up with Paul's writing. Remember, Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy, instructing him how to pastor, how to lead. We can gain great perspective and knowledge on what a church should look like just through reading um, his letter to this guy, to Timothy. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And he says this. Read these next three words nice and loud with me. Come on, church. He says what? Preach the word. Preach the word. Okay. I know it wasn't up on the screen, so you didn't know what to say. So let's just, it's preach the word. Let's say it together. Preach the word. Yes, preach the word, the logos, the written word of God. In other words, Paul is asking Timothy, challenging Timothy to stick with the scripture. Week one, we talked about this idea that we don't want to narsajit the text. In other words, we don't want to read ourselves into the text, be the hero of the story. Clearly, Christ is the hero of Scripture. When we narsajit the text, we drop below the text. When we eisegete the text, we are reading uh, like outside culture and philosophy into the text, subjective matter, and we're trying to elevate the text. Paul is quite simply saying, no, exegetically, hold the line. Just teach the word. Just preach the word. I don't know about you, but I have been to uh, many sermons or sat under many teachings or podcasts where I, where I just wish somebody would just read the Bible. They have a lot of really great things and wonderful things to say, but when you leave out Scripture, you're missing the goodness. You know what I mean? You're missing the greatness. And Paul is saying, just preach the word. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And this is kind of where we hone in. He says this in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears, 
and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, that we could rightly divide it, that your spirit would move, that your word would be living and active in us. And Father, that you would go forth, that go ahead of us today, preparing our minds and our hearts and our hands. Lord, I pray that this teaching, that your word brings conviction to our lives today, uh, not because of any words that, that I might share or we might share, but Lord, because of the words that you have shared with us. Um, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get a quick refresh. Uh, we've been talking through this idea of the American gospel. You say, what is that? Why is that important? It's this idea that there is really one central gospel built on this, this understanding that comes from Scripture. Three parts to this gospel. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. And, and the pieces of the gospel are this, that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he what? Rose again. That is the gospel. And the power in the gospel is that it saves us. Amen? Yes? If we place our faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, we believe that he died for us, that he rose again for us, that he was buried, that he rose again. And scripture says that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We get that. Here's the problem. If you add anything to the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. Likewise, if you take anything away from the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. You get the point, right? And so today, in our day, in our time, there seems to be a lot of adding to or detracting or subtracting from the gospel. And what we're saying is any gospel that is not actually the biblical gospel is no gospel at all. And so we've been trying to call that out because we as, as Christ followers, we need to grow and mature. We need to be able to, to discern what truth is when we're hearing it, when we're not hearing it. It's important for us Last week, we spent some time talking specifically about this idea, this, this doctrine, kind of the word of faith. Word of faith doctrine, uh, just kind of a short and abbreviated version, is this idea that God, um, or it's God's will that you would be healthy, it's God's will that you would always be wealthy, that you would always be prosperous. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to jump in and listen to the podcast of that. Um, I think that scripture kind of makes an op the opposite case, to be honest with you, um, based on you know, scripture and the people that walk through scripture. But it's this idea that the American gospel, word of faith preaching, they, they really tell you, is this is core doctrine, and this is one of the things that I have such beef with. It's not that you, you have a God in you, it's that you are God. At the core of the belief structure or theology, that's probably what I take the most issue with. And I would probably say theologically, scripturally, that's where scripture would really stand in stark contrast. You hear this all the time. You actually hear this through teaching. It's not that you have a God. It's that you are a God. And you say, Travis, that's a pretty strong statement. But here's the deal. If you are to make the claim that you can speak things into existence, does that wording sound familiar? I'm going to speak it. Speak it over your life. Speak it into existence. Speak things that are not as if they were. In order to speak things into existence, you must have the power of God. And you say, well, I do have the power of God. Scripture says that I, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, this is a different kind of power. And it's a power predicated or built on a theology that says 
that when Christ was on the cross, don't miss me now, this is the crux of what we're talking about today. It's a theology that says when Christ was on the cross, that he emptied himself of his deity. I believe this to be a heretical teaching from Scripture. And I, I would not, we would not spend time talking about it if it was not gaining traction and popularity in our culture today. But the problem is, it is. I don't think that people really understand or know what they're buying into, but that is the basis that you must have in your theology if you are to say that you speak things into existence. Because the understanding is, just as Christ emptied out his deity, died and went to hell, defeated Satan, in this strand of theology, got saved in hell, rose again, he was the incarnation of God, he became symbolically just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. You guys hanging tight with me so far? Yes? Okay, I know there's a bunch here. Okay. Maybe I should slow down a little bit. Okay. Became like Adam in the Garden of Eden. In that strand of theology, they would say that Adam was not just created in the image or likeness of God, but he was also an equally created in the divinity of God. And so Adam had the ability, according to this theology, to speak things into existence, to create things. Sin entered into the world, so that broke that. Then Jesus had to come. But when you accept Christ, you are just as much God, this view, as Jesus. Okay, we all on the same page? Okay. So here's the problem I have with that. We got a couple notes this morning. Here's probably, if I would say, here's the overwhelming theme, and it's kind of, I, I hope this makes sense. I, I try to boil it down. I'm a very simple guy. Just give it to me straight, right? Like just, so here's, here's my main problem with that understanding, okay? You ready? Okay. You are not God. That's kind of my whole point today. You, you are not God. Now, equally, before you're like, well, that's a little condescending there, Pastor. Listen, I'm not God either, so don't get, don't get upset. Uh, maybe it's better stated like this. We are not God. And maybe I should just, for the next 20 minutes, just say that over and over until we can really get that deep into our consciousness. The fact is, we are not God. Let me push that a little bit further. Not only are you not God, you're not anything like God. Not only are we not like a little, we're not even like the form of God. We're not somewhat like God, even though biblically we are created in the image of God. We're going to get into what that actually means. At the deepest level and most basic level, we are not God, even remotely. Like not even a little bit are we anything like God, okay? So the understanding or a theology that says you are a God is on the nose ridiculous at best, okay? I just want to state that, okay? It's ridiculous because it makes some major claims. Uh, here, here's the thing. Because I am not God, I cannot control God, be it through my prayers, be it through my faith or my level of giving. I can't control God. I can't outsmart God. I, I can't manipulate God. I can't have better thoughts than God or be more enlightened than God. And part of the reason I can't do these things is because, and here it is, God is, this is the big S word, you ready for it? Sovereign. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just say sovereign. Right now, go ahead, sovereign. Turn to your other neighbor, the one that you rejected the first time, and say sovereign. 
This is a big word. Sovereign is a very large word. And at its core, it means supreme. And here's point number one. If you're taking notes this morning, which I hope that you are, we're a church that worships in spirit and and in truth. We're one week deep, by the way, into our new uh, covenant life group term. And uh, man, last week was awesome. I hope you're part of a group. By the way, can I just take a time out here? This is awesome. I I didn't know this. It's been really fun this summer. God's been doing some really great stuff in the life of our church. We've we've grown over the summer uh, 10% as a church in our attendance. Isn't that cool? Here's the cooler thing. We, we have now, we are now over 80% involved in Sea Life groups throughout the week as a church. Isn't that awesome? I think we should celebrate that. So over 80%. Um, so if you're in the 20%, what are you doing, man? Jump in. It's awesome. We take notes. We take them to our small groups. We open them up. That's where we're going to read them. That's where we're going to grow. That's where we're going to grow in our discipleship. Point number one is this. God alone is sovereign. I feel like these are points. I'm feeling really Baptist-y this morning. So... Um, I wonder if maybe we could just read these, read these points together. Maybe that's Lutheran. I don't know. But let's do it together anyway. God alone is sovereign. Would you just say that with me as a proclamation this, today, church? Come on. Ready? God All right. If you're going to do the difficult job of getting your kids here on a Sunday stinking morning, you might as well do this with a little bit of gusto. Let's try this one more time. God alone is sovereign. Come on, church. Let me hear you. God alone is sovereign. Yes. God alone is sovereign. In fact, we read this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and out of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign. Scripture making the claim that he is blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, he goes on here, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Do do we get that? Talking about God, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one ever saw or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Sovereign at its core means supreme. It means that God has all things under his control. Divine sovereignty simply means this. If you want to take away, it simply means this. God is God. God is actually God. There is not one atom. There is not one molecule. There is not one piece of dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereignty. And if God is not sovereign, listen very closely. If God is not sovereign, then he is not God. Understand the implication. If our God is not sovereign, if our God is not in control, if our God is not providential, if there is one ounce of anything outside of him, he's not God. So when we try to say or buy into a theology that says we are little gods, I would ask you, point blank, are you sovereign? I know for me personally, I lose my keys from time to time. I have a hard enough time keeping track of my five children, okay? 
and the 30 chickens and two pigs and four turkeys and now five peacocks that we have. I have a hard enough time with that, let alone making sure that your biological and molecular structure is held together, that the gravity is working in this earth, that the black holes are doing their black hole stuff out in space. I don't, when we talk about sovereignty, it's all inclusive. Do you understand that? Yes, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so when we buy into this idea that we are as much God as Jesus, we gloss over the fact that God alone is the one who created all things out of thin air. Scripture calls it ex nihilo, out of nothing. And here's the thing. We say that God created out of thin air. The problem is that's not even true because in order to create out of thin air, thin and air have to exist. Thin, I don't know how you feel. I mean, like thin and air didn't even exist when God created nothing. He created out of nothing. He is alone the sovereign creator. Point number two, this is important when it comes to understanding God. God does not need faith because he is the object of faith. Now, we are led to believe that out of the faith that God had, he created all things. I want you to know this is not true. God does not need faith because he is the object of faith. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by its people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the what? Word of God. Here's why it's so important. Okay, I just, this is, honestly, I promise you, this really is not that hard. Just read your Bible, okay? And read it like you would read anything else. Read it in context. When you read it in context, you could simply understand it. Look at this. It says this. By faith we understand. Okay, so whatever comes after this, we're going to understand by what? By faith. Okay, so who is the one that is using faith in this passage? Me, the reader. Okay, we understand that, right? Okay, that seems simple. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the what? Word of God. So that what, was, what is seen and was not made out of things that are visible. Basically, God opens his mouth and says, hey, I want this, and it's there. Okay? That didn't require faith from God. That requires faith from me to believe that God did that. But the word of faith, prosperity, American gospel teacher will tell you that you need to have faith like God has faith. What, what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean that I need to have faith like God has or that I need to exercise the faith, the same faith that God exercised in creating the universe? Here's the problem with that. God doesn't need faith. He needs, he needs no faith. What is faith? According to Hebrews, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Do you see a problem here? Do you see a problem with that? If God has to have faith? God sees all and knows all throughout eternity. What, what, is, what is God hoping for? What is God having faith for? Do, do you see what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous notion to think that God would have faith because while exercising, exercising faith is one of the, the greatest maybe spiritual challenge in our lives, Exercise, I can't talk. Exercising faith for God would actually be a limitation for him. He doesn't need faith. He is God. He is the object of our faith. 
God does not strive to have faith. God's faith is not increasing. God is perfect. Can we make that claim today? Can we make the claim that God is perfect? If God has faith, then it's faith that should be increasing. But if God is perfect, how can he have a faith that is getting better? You can't better something that's perfect. You're like, I don't agree with that. Change your understanding of the word perfect then. Get a better word. You can't wait, can't, it's perfect. Exactly. That's my whole point. You can't better perfection. And I'll tell you, I I hear this in my house a lot. My wife says that about me and our marriage. I understand. So I get it a lot. You can't better, that's gonna, you're gonna think about that on the way home and you're gonna laugh. You're gonna get that, some of you on the way home. (laughs) His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not my ways. Do you know why? He's God. I'm not. Scripture says that I can't even understand. Do you know part of the reason that God sent Jesus Christ to us? Yes, it was this rescue mission. Yes, but do you you also know why? It's so we could get an understanding of God. It's so that we could even identify who God is. We, we, We get an understanding. Jesus, Jesus was the fleshly embodiment of God. We understand God best through Christ. This is why Jesus tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they're like, well, we want to see the Father. We want to see the Father. And then you read passages where it's like, well, God dwells in unapproachable light. You, you don't get to see the Father. You don't get to get before. The closest we get to the Father is Jesus Christ. Because, why? Because he's God, but we're little gods, so, you know. Point number three. Man was created in the image of God, not the, and I took a little bit of liberty here, not the godness of God, Okay? Man was created in the image of God, but not the godness of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and of the livestock, and over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his what? In his image. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Pause, that verse right there, verse 27, is a sermon series that we will one day need to walk through, okay? Let me read it to you. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Really just these last words, male and female, he created them. That's going to be a sermon series all unto its own at some point in time. But for us, in our takeaway today, it's the understanding that whether you are a male or you are a female... You are created in the image, but not the godness of God. We are created in his likeness, in his image, but not his divinity. God did not create other gods. Adam was not a god in the garden. Adam was subordinate to God in the garden. This, if God would have created other little gods, this, just understand this, It would have been against the very nature of God. Scripture tells us that God is God alone. So if God is God alone, maybe somebody should have informed God of that. Maybe he just didn't know that. Maybe his sovereignty doesn't extend to his own word. Is that right? Because somebody should have told God that God's not supposed to create other little gods. 
The fact of the matter is, God did not create us in his deity. God created us in his likeness. We don't share his divine nature. Yes, we are created in the image, but maybe it is even more rightly stated that we are image bearers of God. Maybe that is better. Maybe even better than that, we should be a reflection of God. What does that mean? I kind of think about it like this. Think about if I had a, if I had a mirror that was kind of slightly turned, and, and, and my goal is to reflect the image of God off of me onto everyone else. So I, I get the image of God off this mirror. Do you see what I'm saying? And then it bounces off, and it goes to other people. I am the mirror with which I am trying to show people God. So how I talk should be a reflection of how God speaks. How I, how I act should be a reflection of the very nature of God. How I think, how I grow, how I live should be informed and should be within the image of God. Are we following that? The problem is sin came into the picture. Look at this. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this, But the serpent said to Eve, You're not surely going to die if you eat of that tree. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like who? God. From the very beginning, the largest temptation for us is to think that we could be like God. Satan from the very beginning kicked out of heaven. Why? He thought he could be like God. And here we are, thousands of years later, so technologically advanced, driving around in electric vehicles and calling each other on wireless phones, and yet we are right back to where we've always been, thinking we can be like God. Is that ridiculous? It's crazy, right? I think it's crazy. Look at what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And notice what happened. What happened the moment they ate? Their eyes were opened. Why? Because they became gods? No. No. Because they, because they became filled with sin. Sin entered into the world. Get this. What happened as a result of them not doing what God told them to do? What happened as a result of them buying into the lie that they could be like God? Do you know what happened? Death. Death happened. Do you know what happens when we believe ourselves to be God? Death. It is the utmost, it is the utmost of disrespect to look at God and say, I could do what you do and do it better. Can I just ask? Who do you think you are? Where where are you from? What understanding of God do you hold? It is of the utmost arrogance. It is of the utmost disrespect and the utmost pride. I want us to realize that when the word of faith, American gospel, promises you life in being a little God, what you are asking for is death. Understand me very clearly. When you think you're getting life, you're actually getting death. When the American gospel tells you that you are never more like God than when you speak as God, what scripture is actually teaching us is that you're actually never more like the enemy. Point number four. Jesus alone is the only begotten incarnation of God. 
Colossians 2, we're going to start in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You're going to pick up with me in verse 9. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Look at this. For in him, who? Jesus. Say Jesus. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What does that mean? It means that Jesus alone has the fullness of God inside of him. God put on flesh, Jesus Christ, the incarnation. What is the incarnation, church? It is God with flesh and bone. Understand that. It is God with flesh and bone on. We understand that? The incarnation. Okay. And then it starts to talk about us. You have been filled in him. He's talking to us. Who is he? Jesus, who is the head of all rule, all authority. In him also you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh with the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with who? Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with who? Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised who? Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with who? Him having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal, legal demands. This who? He, Jesus, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, over, by triumphing over them. Think about this. At, at no point did I do any of that. Everything I do is dependent on Jesus Christ doing it for me. Everything I do, how could I be a supreme, sovereign, providential little God, and yet I can't save myself? I am not eternal. I am not immortal. I am not perfect. I cannot speak things into existence. That is reserved for a sovereign God, and according to Scripture, this sovereign God, he is, he is the incarnation, and his name is Jesus Christ. And, and this is a major sticking point for me, okay? I got a couple of them. I don't know if you can tell today or not. I got a couple of them. This is one of them. To claim that you are equally the incarnation as Jesus is ludicrous. It's ludicrous, okay? It's crazy, and you're like, well, I don't know. Scripture seems to back this up. It says that I am the child of God. No, it doesn't. It says you are a child of God. A child of God. John 1.12 tells us, to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, God gives them the right to be called children of God. Notice it does not say the child of God. The the makes a difference. I don't know if you know that or not. When I call myself a great basketball player, it's much different than when I say, I am the great basketball player. When I say something like, I am a good dad, instead me saying, I am the good dad, right? I am a husband, I am the husband. Do you see how the seems to make a little bit of a difference? I got to thinking about this. Have you ever looked up the definition of the word the? Kind of a weird thought. Here's the definition of the word the. Don't worry, I did it for us. The, used to point forward to a follow, following, qualifying, or defining clause or phrase. The difference that the adds is the difference between you and Jesus. He is the incarnation. We get God because 
of Jesus. We are sons of God. He is the son of God. Church, are you here? Does this make sense? We are children of God. He is the child of God. He is the only way to God. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He is the way, the truth, the life. And no one gets to the Father unless they go through him. The makes a big difference. Hearing that back in my head, sounds like I was speaking old English, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Because the does make a difference. Point number six. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, but not his divinity. I got to finish this up, but I got to camp out on this point because this is very important. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, but not his divinity. This is the central teaching that on the cross, Christ emptied out his, his, his divine guts, as it were. His divinity became fully man. They would actually say he took on a satanic nature, a sin nature, okay? <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, uh, we're going to see this in verse 5. Having the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. I'll read it in context. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What was the emptying? God emptied out the glory of heaven, put on flesh and bone, and became a human, fully God, fully man, theologically understood as the hypostatic union. Remember that? Fully God, fully man. The union of God and man together is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the hypostatic union. God was always, Jesus was always, 100% God, 100% man. We on the same tip there? Yes? Okay, okay, good. So, he empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the cross. Okay, understand this. If Jesus shed, I really want to say this as clearly as possible. And the thing is, this is not even like a theologically deep thing. I mean, it is. It, it, it is. It's amazingly deep. But it's very simple at the same time. Okay? It centers around this word called imputation. Okay? But here's the idea. If Jesus Christ shed his divinity on the cross, what you end up with is a sacrifice that is worth nothing, okay? And if your theology is built, if you being a little God, if Adam was a little God, if you are a little God, if, if you can speak it into existence and you grow and increase your faith and your words are the containers that carry your faith words to God and the faith force makes God move on your behalf and he must bless you because of your faith and God is increasing it. Okay, if that's your theology, hear what I'm going to say. It must be built on the fact that Christ emptied himself out on the cross of his divinity. The problem with that is this. If that is your Jesus, your Jesus has no power to save you. None. And you're like, oh, that doesn't seem, none. Nope, there's not a question. None. Our salvation, our forgiveness of sin is based, predicated on the fact that God picked up my sins and died for them in his full godness. 100%. It cannot be anything else. He could not shed his deity. He could not drop his deity. No, that's what makes the gospel so amazing. It's the fact that a God who didn't have to took my sins. Here's the understanding. My sins, my sinfulness, my sins are imputed 
onto Jesus on the cross, which means this, counted as his. So my sins are counted as Christ on the cross. Imputation, that's what imputation is. You understand that? Okay. They are not his, but they are counted as if they are. Now, if my sins were only, oh, dude, this is so good. If my sins were only imputed onto Christ, I still couldn't get to heaven. What also has to happen in the imputation? What has to happen? Jesus's righteousness, perfectness must be imputed onto me. Get this. The whole point of this sacrifice is not that he emptied his deity, but is that he imputed his righteousness to me. If Jesus ever for a moment ever emptied his deity, he could not impute his righteousness onto me. In other words, his righteousness could not cover me. In other words, his banner over me could not be love. In, in, in other words, his sacrifice would have been pointless. It would have meant nothing. The gospel is built and based on the fact that Jesus Christ was God at all times, at all moments, even in the moment when he's stabbed in the side and breathes his last breath, when he looks to heaven and says, Father, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why. He forsake him in that moment. It's not because he shed his deity, but it's because my sins were imputed on top of him. And in that moment, his righteousness was imputed onto me, counted as me. Even though I am not righteous, I am counted as righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Do you get that? So the understanding that Jesus shed his deity, okay, if that's your belief, you can't know God. You're still waiting for a Messiah. You're gonna be waiting for a long time. And when he does return again, you may not like what he has to say. Here's the deal. I am not God. You are not God. Just to reiterate, I was made and created in the image of God to reflect the goodness of God out of the grace of God. And had it not been for God staying God, I couldn't even know God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. You're good. You are incredibly good and gracious and patient and kind. You are so patient with me. I, I don't deserve that. But I'm grateful for it. I'm so grateful for the imputed righteousness that Christ offers us. I'm so amazed at, at the righteousness that is given to us so freely. It is what makes the gospel so truly Amazing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. With nobody looking around with your eyes closed and your heads bowed this morning, maybe you would say, I want that. Whatever that is, I want that. Uh, you don't even know the half of it. You don't even know the half of it. It's not just that Jesus' righteousness is counted as my righteousness, or my righteousness is counted as Christ. It's that he forgives my sins. Think about having everything you've ever done that's a sin, bad, you're ashamed, you're ashamed of, you're guilty for, you know, you feel guilty. Imagine that being forgiven. And I don't mean forgiven like your friends forgive you, you know, like bring it up every once in a while. I'm talking about forgiven like it's gone. 
That's what Jesus does. How about the fact that when we accept Christ, when we begin to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself, takes residence inside of us. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will dwell in you and with you, and you will not be alone. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. How about that? How about the fact that when you die, you are guaranteed, you are promised a home in eternity with heaven, where scripture says that there will be no more death, pain, fear, or he will wipe every tear from you. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and you're like, how much does this cost? What do I have to do? What do I have to change? I'll tell you right here. Listen, Scripture says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. I wish it was more complicated than that. I wish there was like a five-step process. Well, first you got to register here, and then you got to send your tithe check here, and then you got to make sure. It's not even that. You call out to God from wherever you are. I don't know if I have enough faith. That's okay, because the faith that you do have is faith that God gave you to accept the grace that he has for you. If there is any affection in you towards Jesus Christ, count it as joy, my friend, because that is not an affection that you could sum up or drum up within yourself. That is the Holy Spirit at work within your body. Do you understand me? And so today, your only response is just that, to respond to respond to the grace of God. In this moment right now, I wanna give you just some time to respond to the goodness and the grace of God. In a couple weeks, we're gonna give you an opportunity to make that response made known. But for today, it's a personal thing between you and your Savior. Take the next 20, 30 seconds. Talk with this living God. Declare your affection for him. Give him your life and watch what he does. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.